All right, well, we are continuing today in our Conversations with Jesus series. This is week eight. And I think we have been in this series long enough that we can now take a step back and consider where we've been and see some patterns that have been emerging. You might have noticed there's some reoccurring themes that keep coming up in Jesus' conversations. So this is where we've been so far. We've looked at Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus' conversation with the woman at, at the well, uh, with some Pharisees about the subject of divorce, uh, with the rich young ruler, with some Pharisees about politics, with Peter after the resurrection, and with the devil. And one recurring theme that I think we see in at least half of these conversations is the idea that God wants our total allegiance slash loyalty. Uh, I think that comes up in at least four of the conversations that we've looked at so far prominently, and interestingly, they're the last four we've looked at. So in Jesus's conversation with the rich young ruler, he tells the rich young ruler to give up all his stuff, right? Now, we learned he doesn't tell him to give up all his stuff because stuff is inherently bad, but because his allegiance is in his stuff. He values his stuff more than he values Jesus, right? So the theme of that conversation is where your allegiance is. And then in the conversation with, with uh, the Pharisees about politics, Jesus emphasizes that our first allegiance should be to God in his kingdom, because before we belong to any earthly nation or earthly king, we belong to God, right? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but to God what is God's. And what belongs to God? Your whole self, okay? So again, the subject of allegiance. And uh, in the conversation that he has with Peter after the resurrection, he says, Peter, follow me, minister to my church, even though it's going to mean eventually you're going to die for that, right? You're going to be martyred. So what greater call to allegiance is there than that, to follow him even unto death? The theme of allegiance. And then last week, when we looked at Jesus' conversation with the devil, again, the devil said, um, if you will bow down and worship me, in other words, if you will give your allegiance to me, then I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, no. My allegiance is to God and God alone. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so when Jesus has conversations, he has a tendency to emphasize this concept of total allegiance, total allegiance to God, right? And today, we're looking at yet another conversation where this theme comes up. And I would say it, it comes up maybe more starkly than in any of the conversations we've looked at so far, maybe more abrasively than in any of the conversations that we've looked at so far. So if you want to follow along in your own Bible, turn to Luke 9, starting in verse 57. Luke 9, 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, 
I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, I'll start with a confession. I try to value honesty in preaching, uh, so here's a confession. When I was reflecting on this passage this week, I found myself feeling a little angry at Jesus. Uh, Not so much for the interaction with the first person, but definitely for the second two. So I'll explain why in a a moment, but let's talk about the first one. Uh, The first guy tells Jesus that he'll go with him wherever he goes, and then Jesus reminds him that that might mean living a pretty uncomfortable life. Because at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's got no place to lay his head, right? Following Jesus might mean spending the night under a tree or spending a night with the sand as a pillow. Um, Now, for us today, what Jesus says here should be a reminder for us that following him does not always mean having a comfortable life, right? Because Jesus' purpose for our life is not for us to be wealthy or comfortable, Uh, it's for us to learn how to love God and love people well. And sometimes loving people well means making sacrifices, right? Uh, That's not an easy message to receive. It's actually a really hard message to hear, and it's a a very hard message to live out. Um, But that's what Jesus is saying here. But as I said, it's not this interaction that troubled me as I reflected on the passage this week. Uh, It's the next two. Because at least on the surface, it seems like both of these men have really reasonable requests, right? Uh, Let me bury my father first, or let me go say goodbye to my family before I follow you. And Jesus' reply to both of these people, it seems pretty insensitive, right? He says to the the first one, let the dead bury their own dead, right? Not, Not usually the kind of thing you think you should say to a grieving son about his father. Uh, And then with the second one, who says, you know, let me say goodbye to my family first, he essentially seems to be saying, oh, that's too bad. If you want to say goodbye to your family, you're not fit for service in the kingdom. And I don't know about you, but, you know, when I hear Jesus' responses, I can't help but think, come on, Jesus. You know, do you... (laughs) Do you really want your followers to be the kind of people who just abandon their families without even telling them where they're going? Do you really want your followers to be people who, you know, their parents drop dead, and before the funeral even happens, they go, well, I got ministry work to go do. Do you want your followers to be the kind of people who abandon their spouses and children because I'm going to serve the Lord? Don't you care about family relationships at all, Jesus? And and then I started thinking, well, Jesus, you're not like one of those creepy cult leaders, right, who tells people you must come to the cult and and cut all familial ties. Don't talk to anybody because I know the kind of pain that that's caused in people's lives. Maybe you do too. And I found myself thinking, please, Jesus, tell me you're not like that. Right? Well, Okay, however it might look, I want to assure us that Jesus is not like that. Uh, As we already talked about in this very series, remember when we looked on uh, 
at the conversation about divorce. Jesus wants us to take our marriage vows very, very seriously, right? Jesus is not the kind of person who's going to advocate for you just up and leaving your spouse and kids. Not at all. And Jesus also wants us to honor our parents. Right? Jesus affirmed over and over again uh, the, the Ten Commandments. Right? That's one of the ten. That's not even like one of the hundreds in the Mosaic Law. It's one of the big ten. Right? Honor your mother and father. And it doesn't seem very honoring to your mother and father to just leave and not even tell them where you're going. Just abandon them. And in case we have any doubt about Jesus' heart on the subject of honoring your father and mother, uh, there's a passage that I find very helpful. I think it's a very important passage to keep in mind when we're trying to understand what Jesus is saying here. Uh, it's, it comes from uh, Mark chapter 7, and it's when Jesus is critiquing the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And here's what he says. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Now, what's going on here, okay? Jesus' complaint against the religious leaders here is that they've created a man-made religious law, and that religious law is disrespecting uh, God's law. And here's why. Because God's law said, honor your mother and father. And in those days, one of the ways that you honored your mother and father was by supporting them financially when they became too old uh, and, and uh, handicapped in some way to work. Um, you, probably, you probably understand that in those days, people didn't have uh, 401ks and social security and retirement plans and that sort of thing. So when you reached a certain age, if you became incapable of working, you were, you were in trouble unless there were people around you who helped you, right? And what, what the Jews very much believed is that part of fulfilling God's law, part of honoring your mother and father, was helping to support your parents when they reached that time in their lives. But what the Pharisees would do is they would say, yes, you should honor your father and mother, you should support them fi financially, but if you take the money that you would ordinarily use to support your aging parents and you give it to the temple instead, well, then your obligation is fulfilled. And this whole system was called Corbin, because Corbin means dedicated to God. So they would say, if you take that money, you, you dedicate it to God, you dedicate it to the temple, instead of giving it to your parents, you're okay, you're, you're good. And of course, the Pharisees had a lot of self-interest in this system, because they benefited financially from the money that was given to the temple. And Jesus hates this, right? Jesus is critiquing them. He's upset about this. And he says that this system is nullifying, which means disregarding the word of God. It's wrong. And so whatever Jesus is trying to communicate in the passage that we're looking at today, it can't be that you're not supposed to honor your mother and father or care about your family obligations. Right? It can't be that, because the same Jesus who said, let the dead bury their own dead, is the Jesus who got really ticked off about Corbin. 
right? Now, but you might say, well, in our passage, isn't Jesus rebuking these men for trying to treat their families well? Like, isn't he rebuking them for caring about their families? Isn't he looking down on them for caring enough to stick around for a family funeral and for being thoughtful enough to actually say goodbye before they leave, potentially forever? And I believe the answer is no. I really do. That's not what's going on here. And here's how I would put it, okay? Jesus is correcting these men, but not because they have a desire to honor their parents. Okay, that is not what he's correcting. What he's correcting them for is for hiding behind excuses to keep from following him. Hiding behind excuses to keep from following him. We have to remember, Jesus is very wise, right? Wisest person that ever lived. He had divine knowledge. And because he's divine, and he has divine knowledge, he has insight into what people say, insight beyond what ordinary people have. And so when someone speaks, Jesus doesn't just hear the words that they're speaking, right? He, he hears the heart behind those words. And Jesus knows that the heart behind these men's words is not a heart to appropriately honor their families. That's not what's going on here. He knows that they're using their families as an excuse not to come with him. That's what's going on. Now, you might say, well, hold on, Ryan. Okay, one guy is saying that his father just died, right? And if he's telling the truth, that's not hiding behind an excuse, right? That's the one legitimate excuse. That's what you get to use in school, right? I wasn't, I wasn't able to be there for the final. Someone died. Oh, okay, if you can prove it, that you're good. You know, so why doesn't Jesus cut him a break? Well, Let's think about this for a moment, okay? We, we read those words, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And what we're imagining is that this guy is just walking down the road, and Jesus says, come and follow me. And it just happens to be in this brief span of time between when his father died and before he went in the ground. That seems unusual, right? Highly coincidental that Jesus would approach him in that moment. What we need to realize is there's a very good possibility that when he says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father, it's like saying, Lord, Jesus, before I follow you, let me wait until my father has passed away. And that could be years, right? Be, let me stay with my family until my, my parents are gone, then I'll come and take you, uh, take you seriously. Whatever the case was here, Jesus is able to tell that for this man, what he's saying about burying his father is a way of postponement. It's a way of postponing following Jesus, putting it off. And I think a lot of us do this kind of postponement in our own uh, lives of, of faith. I think it's especially common for younger people. We can do it at any period of time in our lives, but it's especially common for younger people. We say things like, well, I'll get serious about my faith eventually, but... I just want to have fun right now, you know? Uh, hundreds of years ago, St. Augustine, before he was converted, he expressed the same attitude when he prayed, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. You know, we have this attitude when we think, well, I'll get serious about my faith after I graduate from college. 
or I'll get serious after I settle down in my career, or I'll get serious after I have kids, you know, because then I have to instruct them morally. I'll get serious about it then. Or, you know, I'll get serious about it after my parents have died, like this guy. And what Jesus is telling us here is, don't do that, right? Don't postpone. There's no better time to get serious about your relationship with God than right now. Right? There's no better time to follow Jesus than the present. Because even though you might think, oh, I'm going to be able to follow Jesus later, you don't know that. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? Jesus is always going to be extending the invitation for you to follow him. As long as you're breathing, he's still extending that invitation. I don't care if you're 105 years old, it's still there. But you might not be able to say yes later. Because the decisions you're making now are shaping you into the person you will be tomorrow. And if the person you are today is the kind of person who hears Jesus saying, follow me, and who says, not now, guess what kind of person you're preparing yourself to be tomorrow? The kind of person who hears Jesus saying, follow me, and says, not now. Right? And the longer that you say, not now, the harder it becomes for you to say, okay, now. When we make decisions in our lives, it's kind of like a, a train picking up speed. And at first, the train goes slowly, so it's not too hard to put the brakes on and maybe redirect to another track. But over time, our decisions turn into habits, right? And then our habits turn into a way of life. And the train starts to pick up momentum and pick up speed, and after a while, it becomes almost impossible to slow it down and to redirect it onto another track. And, and Jesus doesn't want the train of this man's life to gain momentum in the wrong direction. Right? He doesn't want him to postpone following him. He wants him to choose him. He wants him to choose to follow him today, now. And again, Jesus knows this, is, this excuse, it isn't really about honoring a parent. It's about postponing. And so Jesus doesn't let that slide. He doesn't say, okay, you go do that. Wait until your father dies or, you know, go and bury your father and then come and follow me. He says, no, let the dead bury their own dead. You come on, follow me now. Follow me today. Now, what about that third interaction? I mean, that guy doesn't even ask to stick around long enough to bury his father or to wait until his father dies. He just says, let me go say goodbye. And why wouldn't Jesus just say, sure, you ought to let your family know if you're going away forever. You know, why does he make this seemingly disparaging comment about the man not being fit for service in the kingdom? Well, again, I said it already, I'll say it again. We have to remember, Jesus hears not only the words that this man is saying, but the heart behind those words. And once again, Jesus can tell that this man, he doesn't really want to follow him. He's making excuses. You know, we can't know this for sure, but I suspect, take this for what it's worth, I suspect that Jesus knew that if this man went back home to say goodbye, he'd never leave. You know, I, I think he knew that if he went back, he would think, this is what I know, this is comfortable. I don't know what I was thinking telling that guy I was going to follow him. I, I think I'm going to stay here. 
I think Jesus saw this man the way we might say, see an addict who says, I'll go to rehab, but let me have one last hit before I go. You know, if you're staging an intervention for an addict, and the addict says that, I'll go to rehab, but let me have one last hit before I go, you don't usually say, oh, okay, yeah, sure, enjoy that. <laughs> you know, because you know if you let them go, they're going to have that last hit, and then they're going to want another last hit, and then another last hit, and they're probably not going to end up going. Now, Jesus' last words in this passage are very important. Remember, he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What does he mean there? Well, in those days, plows were very, very light. Okay, they're made of wood. And so if you were plowing and you looked behind you, you would, you would, the, the plow would definitely move because it was so light. And you would end up plowing a very crooked plow line. And nobody wants a crooked plow line. And what, what Jesus is saying through this metaphor is that if you want to serve well in the kingdom of God, you can't be looking back. And that's what this man was doing. He was looking back. His request to say goodbye to his family, okay, that wasn't about honoring his parents. It wasn't about familial obligations. It was an excuse to look back to keep from plowing forward. Now, what does that mean, to look back? Let's talk about this idea of looking back. Here's how I want you to visualize it. I want you to imagine that Jesus is in front of you, and he is calling you in a particular direction. He wants you to do things for the kingdom of God, so he wants you to put your hands on the plow, follow him, follow him where he's leading. But instead of moving forward, instead of keeping your eyes on him, following where he's, he's leading, you keep looking back on your life, the life that you had apart from Jesus, and you feel nostalgic for it. You remember things about it, about it that you liked, okay? And, and rather than choosing to focus on where Jesus is leading you in the present, you start to think back to the, to the past and the things that maybe you enjoyed about it. And I'm not necessarily talking about obviously wrong things that you might have in the past, like you know, reckless partying or substance abuse or being selfish with your money could include those things, but I'm even talking about things that aren't necessarily bad. You know, with this guy, his home wasn't necessarily bad. His family wasn't necessarily bad. But Jesus was trying to lead this man away from his home because he had good purposes for him apart from that place of safety and nostalgia that he was used to. And rather than looking forward to where Jesus wanted him to, to go, he wanted to cling nostalgically to the past. And what Jesus was telling him is, as long as you keep looking back, as long as you keep wanting to cling nostalgically to the past, you're not going to be able to do good work in God's kingdom. And I'll be honest, this actually hits home for me, what Jesus is saying here, because you might not know this, but I am one of the most nostalgic people you will ever meet. I am so nostalgic. Yeah, I, I have a, a sentimental longing for the past. Um, even when I was a kid, I felt a sentimental longing for the past. Even when I barely had any past to feel sentimental about, I felt sentimental about the past. And let me tell you, if you have that sentimental longing at all for the past, 
The internet makes it more possible for you to indulge that than any other time in history. I mean, I can spend hours, if I let myself, online looking up YouTube videos from like stupid cartoons when I was a kid and, you know, commercials even from like the 80s and the 90s. And I mean, some of you are probably thinking, what a weirdo. But I, I can do that. And I know there are other people like me because people put this stuff up online. <laughs> and another clue that many of us are nostalgic is because of the movies that Hollywood produces these days. Have you noticed this? Probably more, of, more than half of the movies that get made are either sequels of old movies or old movies just remade again. I, I remember reading about what Disney's roster of movies was for the next like five years, and there was almost nothing original. Almost everything was either a sequel or a remake. Now, I'm not saying that nostalgia is all bad. I'm not saying it's ever wrong to look back on the good old days. You know, I'm not even saying remakes of movies are inherently bad, although a lot of them are pretty bad. <laughs> but it's important that more of our attention is on where Jesus is leading us in the present than on the past. Because we miss out on what he wants to do in our lives now if we're always preoccupied with the past. And when we're preoccupied with, with the past, we become, be, we become obsessed with preserving it. And sadly, that is a trap that churches are famous for falling into. Have you noticed that? You know, a common refrain in churches, and I, I'm not trying to cast shade on this church at all. I actually haven't experienced this, but a common refrain in churches is, uh, you can't change that. We've always done it that way. You know, and then when you ask, well, but why? The answer is usually, well, that's just the way we do it. Don't change it. We'll be really upset if you change it. And what's going on there is nostalgia is directing the church instead of Jesus. And when that happens, we need to hear Jesus' words. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, to finish, I want to come back to the subject that I introduced this whole passage with, right? which is the subject of total allegiance to God. Now, even though, as I've said, this passage is not teaching us to dishonor our parents or to cut our families out of our lives, it is undoubtedly teaching us this hard truth. Jesus is supposed to be more important to us than our families. There's no way of squirreling out of that. That is definitely uh, something that this passage is teaching us. Now, when we follow Jesus, I can assure you, part of following Jesus is loving your family well. He will tell you to do that, right? He will tell you to love your spouse. He will tell you to love your kids. Uh, he will tell you to honor your mother and father. But here's what we have to remember. If anyone in our family tells us to reject God's will for our lives, or to turn away from Christ, or to compromise our principles, we need to choose allegiance to God over allegiance to family. That's a hard message, but it's what Jesus is saying. Now you might say, how can Jesus ask us to do that? You know, my family, I'm so close to them, right? How, how can he tell me to be more committed to him than to my family? Well, look at it this way. If our primary allegiance is to our family, the most important value in our lives is going to be loyalty. 
to our family, right? If the most important allegiance, primary allegiance in your lives is your family, the supreme value in your life is going to be loyalty to your family. Now, loyalty to your family, most of the time, is a virtue. It's a good thing. But what happens if your family is like the mafia? Right? I'll tell you what happens. You, if your supreme value is being loyal and your family is like the mafia, then what do you do? You defend them in all their evil ways. And you consider that a good thing because you're being loyal. You're being loyal to the family. And that's a trap that we can't fall into. And the only way we don't fall into it is if our primary allegiance is to God, right? If our primary allegiance is to something even greater than our family. Because no family can be the standard of goodness. I mean, come on, every family is dysfunctional, right? We can't be the standard of goodness in our families. Only God can be the true standard of goodness. And that means that he and he alone needs to have our primary allegiance. Let's pray. Lord, these are tough words, and I pray that if we're struggling with them uh, this week, that you would help us to process through them. Uh, Lord, we, we do know that you want us to love our families, our friends, uh, all the people around us well. Lord, you, you summarize the law by saying it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so, Lord, we believe that, that following you is going to mean learning how to love other people well, including our families. Um, but, but this passage makes it so clear, Lord, that you need to be our first priority, our first allegiance. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach each one of us what that looks like in our own lives. God, I pray that you give us the strength to wrestle through the hard teachings that you gave. And uh, we thank you even for those hard teachings, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.